This is an ABC podcast. Strong language. For copyright reasons, the music has been edited. To hear the full tracks, listen to The J Files, Thursday nights on Double J. Or head to doublej.net.au and click on the track list at the bottom of each episode. Hey, it's Castran here. Welcome to The J-Files, the podcast for people who love music. Each episode is like a quick music history lesson. We pick a different artist or band, we look at some of the most important moments in their career, and we celebrate their impact on music, all in less than 30 minutes. In this episode, we're delivering a jolt of energy as we track the journey of Kiwi rock institution, She Hat. We were sitting around... Um, and we were watching the movie Dune at my parents' house. The name for the battle at the end was the Shihad. And we had been, you know, these protected mummies boys from Wellington, New Zealand, thought, wow, what a fucking cool name for a speed metal band. Like a big battle. Shihad began as a bunch of high school kids in love with speed metal, with dreams of becoming the biggest, heaviest band in the world. Now, well into their third decade together, they've sailed through some incredible highs and some hellish lows. So, after so many years and so many adventures together, how well does the band know its own history? Are you ready, guys? Absolutely. This is the toughest quiz you've played for years. It's it's called How Well Does She Hard Remember Their 20-plus Year Career? Because I reckon... In the world of rock and roll, most of us can't remember much at all, so let's see how we go. <laughs> Question one. John and Tom, you formed the band. You bonded over bongs and beers in a lounge room in 1988. True or false? Beer, bongs and beers. Mm. I, I think we're a bit nerdier than that. To but also, true. 1987 was actually... Oh. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I, I, yeah. There you go, correct. Question two. The name for Shehard came about while watching Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart and uh, where you, Tom, remarked of Bonnie's extraordinary spiked mulleted bonce said, gee, she had nice hair. That's it's, false, but it's probably... It's a good story. <laughs> it's a great story. It's actually better than the one we've got. <laughs> yeah. What's that story again? Tell me. What? How we got our name? Yeah, wasn't it? That was actually watching the movie June, June. that science fiction Frank movie, Herber. and uh, when the name of the battle at the end was the Shihad, and we went, wow, that's perfect name for um, a Slayer covers band. That's right. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Correct. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a right for that. All right. You're doing pretty good all right now. Question three. John. You are fondly remembered for walking the bar of the Esplanade Hotel in Melbourne during a Triple J tribute to ACDC called JCDC. True or false? That is true. Correct. And clearly your memories are, are in fine form, so you've got nothing to worry about whatsoever. Cheers, my f- Thanks, my pleasure, man. See you Good soon. on you. See you soon. Bye-bye. Full marks to She Had Frontman John Toogood and drummer Tom Larkin, who aced that quiz with Miff Warhurst on Double J in 2016. Fresh out of Wellington High School, She Had first turned up the volume on their 1990 debut EP, Devolve. The EP got the band's name buzzing in their home country. It also caught the ear of Killing Joke frontman Jazz Coleman, who had recently taken up residence in New Zealand. Coleman was part of a group that had set up a recording facility in Auckland called York Street Studio, and he was looking for a group to break it in. When some local surfers handed him a copy of Devolve, he knew he'd found his band. (laughs) 
Jihad's pummeling debut album, Churn, was the result of their time at York Street with Jazz Coleman. And the Englishman's big presence can be heard in its industrial riffs. Impressed by Tom Larkin's drumming, Coleman enlisted him for Killing Joke's 1994 album Pandemonium and even tried to take him on tour, an offer Larkin turned down. Instead, she had returned to York Street without Jazz Coleman to start work on their follow-up album, Killjoy. Released in 1995, Killjoy was another big step forward for the band and it launched them into months of touring through Europe and the US. In January 1996, they stepped onto the main stage at Auckland's Big Day Out. But onstage triumph was overshadowed by offstage tragedy when their manager Gerald Dwyer died of an overdose. She had had committed to recording their third album. Having tragically lost the person who had steered the first phase of their career, they had to regroup in the studio. Jihad's 1996 self-titled album would become known as the Fish Album for its artwork. In 2016, when John Toogood talked to Miff Warhurst about the record's 20th anniversary, he reflected on the void left by Gerald Dwyer. That guy was our sort of big brother mentor for the first, what, two albums? Yeah. And so all of a sudden we had to make decisions for ourselves. I mean, we, we were always very proactive in that way, but we'd always have him to bounce ideas off and say what do you think um so we didn't really have that so and i think at around that time we also sort of discovered things like oasis and rediscovered the beatles via things like guided by voices and stuff like that which we'd picked up while we were traveling through europe um on the killjoy album so all of a sudden it went from being let's be the loudest riff based wall of sound we can be to how do you write a pop song and that was the yeah. big change, the, the mental shift at that point. Um, so we didn't really have this manager, to, which is all good. I'm really glad that we did that um, because it set us up for other records. But we didn't really have anyone outside of the band to say, hey, um, do you remember how loud you are live? <laughs> or, 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 or to paraphrase, do you realise you're disappearing up your own artistic arse? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But at the same time, out of that, out of all that experimentation, you get a song like Home Again, you know, and, and, and yeah. Home Again's like one of the, the standard She Hard songs, you know, and I mean, I remember when it first came out, that, the, the first review I read was by someone who loved, you know, our previous records, and he went, it starts off with some third-rate psychedelic furs rip-off song, <laughs> which was Home Again, and I, I was sort of like, sort of, I was, I felt 
hurt, but at the same time, I, I sort of like the fact that he used the word psychedelic first because I, I love psychedelic first growing up. So, so, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, I mean, if we hadn't gone down that path of, well, how do you write a song? We never would have got that song, or we never would have got La La Land, or all these songs that we are actually playing on this tour. You know, it's yeah. like, it's a mixed bag, that record, but it's also a really human record, which I'm really proud of. It's yeah. like, it's a flawed record, but I think it's a really cool record, yeah. Jihad made the trip to Vancouver to work on their next album. There they tapped the services of Garth Richardson, the producer behind Rage Against the Machine's self-titled debut. The General Electric was their biggest sounding record yet. Now we have a band here, originally from New Zealand but now residing in Australia. They've just released their fourth album, The General Electric, and they're here joining us now. Welcome, Sheehad! How are you, mate? I'm alright, thanks. Sweet ears, mate. Sweet ears. Lovely, lovely. The newest LP, The General Electric, your fourth one, yes? What does the Fourth. title mean to you? Um, it means G and E, which are the two featured guitar chords on right. the album. That's Sheehard backstage at the 2000 Big Day Out talking to Dylan Lewis. The Big Day Out forms a crucial part of the Sheehard story. As John Toogood recounted on Double J's Inside the Big Day Out podcast, They'd laid the groundwork for their scene-stealing appearances at the festival early in their career. We were quite lucky early on that we were asked to support ACDC when, you know, we were just kids. So we had a, had a taste for arena rock straight away. And so we, I think because of that, we'd always written our music. It was designed to come out of big PAs, played in front of lots of people. So... When the big day out came around, it was like, good, we've already got our music designed for this size. We got, you know, whether it you know, fails or succeeds, we had written it to be played through big PAs. So for us, it felt like a very natural thing. You know, it might not have for a lot of the other bands, but for us, it was like we were home as soon as we were put on main stage at the big day out. And, and so because of our profile in New Zealand, we got that opportunity quite early, but we were really lucky in Australia in the fact that Friends or Rom had, they were the main stage act. And Jay, like I think two weeks out from the start of one of the Big Day Out tours in Australia, he broke his arm, which meant they couldn't play. And we were on the third, booked to be on the third stage. And I think because we'd done a good job in New Zealand, they took a punt on us and said, yep, okay, you, you take Frenzel's place. And we knew that that was our chance. And I think it was timed perfectly because we just recorded the General Electric album in, in Vancouver. We had all this really, really big sounding material that was designed for that. And we took that chance. I remember just like spending most of my time, you know, crowd surfing, you know, <laughs> and just like making sure we were a tough act to follow, you know, and... um and I think that's how we broke into Australia, really. Now solidly established in Australasia, America was the next frontier. Yet it almost proved to be Shihad's undoing. 
Having previously skewered Hollywood on their song La La Land, they decamped to LA. There they planned to work on an album that would launch their assault on America. But before recording was complete, the September 11 attacks changed the world in an instant, and the name Shehad suddenly became a liability. Their manager's insistence, Shehad's fifth studio album was released under the name Pacifier. The band were feeling just as conflicted as their fans, and the name change ultimately didn't stick. On a Spicks and Specs appearance in 2006, John Toogood recounted the whole saga in less than 60 seconds. Okay, we were basically in America at the time of the September 11th bombings and um, we uh-huh. just signed a deal with a, um, a massive American record label and management and blah 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 and it was all like all the childhood dreams come true and then that happened and the name Shehard was too close to Jihad for the Americans and they couldn't get us booked on shows and couldn't get us played on radio so they said either you change your name or go back to where you come from so we thought we've been knocking on this door for so long we've got to actually just give it a go and it sucked. Was there not a point when you named the band She Had that you thought this might get us into trouble? No, because we were young metal bogans at that point. When I was 16 years old when I joined this band. You know? Right. And you don't think, oh, holy war's going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> While history conspired to stop Shehad gaining a foothold in the States, their experience there fueled a searing run of albums in the 2000s. Reclaiming their original name, they set about winning back fans put out by their American misadventures. They also chronicled that period in a fascinating 2012 documentary, Beautiful Machine. Having been estranged from Jazz Coleman for over 20 years, A chance encounter at a music awards night led to the group making another record with their former producer. G'day, I'm John. And I'm Tom. And we're from the band Shehard, and we're here for the next hour or so playing you music we love uh, on the spot. Anyway, we're going to end up with one of our songs, and it's off the new album called Five Eyes, um, spelled F-V-E-Y, which is... um, What is the Five Eyes, Tom? Well, it's, it's basically an intelligence network comprising Australia... Canada, United States, uh, UK, and New Zealand. Yep, and, and they can they can share information, can't they? Yeah, they can share and, and and you know how you know how the um, Abbott government's just trying to like you know pass some new anti-terrorism laws where they're uh, going to just just check your web addresses. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where Five Eyes comes in to play. Um, we personally, as um, free citizens, citizens uh, find that extremely uncomfortable. And quite um, 1984. So uh, the album sort of deals with things like that. Uh, it also deals with the uh, growing divide between rich and poor, uh, which I think is very becoming more and more obvious all the time. Um, and also um, the effects of free market capitalism without any constraints. And what happens to that? Um, okay, so um, if you're uh, interested in those sort of things, um, and also if you really like extremely loud, riffy, metal rock 
and roll. <laughs> I think, no, a friend described it as heavy without the metal. Heavy without the metal? Yeah, heavy without the metal. Um, but anyway, um, I think it might well be worth a listen. Anyway, this is the first song on the record. It's a track called Think You're So Free. Thank you for listening. Turn it up loud. We made an album that felt fantastic to deliver, and that was its primary objective, that it felt good. But the thing is, and then you've got on top of that, we had Jazz Coleman, who hadn't record, we hadn't worked with for yeah. 20 years. He, he made the first album um, 20 years ago, and then we, we he came back for this record, and it was like, okay, we're just basically going to make you a whole new live set. That's basically what we're doing. We're not even making a record. Forget the record. We're going to make us. We're going to make a set that would destroy any other band you know that would have to play after you or before you we spent a lot of time on just making sure that it's going to move a crowd you know it's going to move our bodies as well and then on top of it he went the world's going off so so let's have a look you know um i i after we made all the music i traveled to sudan where you know i married a sudanese woman about what three years ago now so that's a completely different world than the world we live in and seeing what works and what doesn't then coming back over here and and it just gave me a really good worldview on, uh, I know the world we live in, you know, and um, and hey, Tony Abbott was in power as well, so so much, so much good material, so much to discuss, <laughs> so, absolutely, so much great material. <laughs> That's John Toogood and Tom Larkin talking to Miff about the events circulating through their lives around the making of Five Eyes. Certainly, the most profound of these events for John was his marriage and the story behind it. In an episode of the ABC podcast, Days Like These, called She Hats Frontman Is Home Again, John opened up about his relationship with his future wife, Dana. The second time we meet, I do end up back at her house. And she has to pray, because it's prayer time. I'm still a, a staunch atheist. Staunch atheist. I remember watching her, and I watched the peace that was emanating off her, and I was like... I remember what that felt like when I practiced transcendental meditation regularly. But at the same time, it was like, whoa, that's weird, because I was under the impression that all people who believed in religion were suckers. I have to fucking question my whole belief system here. I remember I said to her, so you're telling me that if I want to marry you, which she was very taken aback by, I have to convert to Islam? And she went, well... Yeah. And I was like, fuck that. Why don't you convert to what I believe? And I packed a big fucking rock star tanty and <laughs> made a point of pointing out how unfair that was. But all the time thinking, I've got to find a way of marrying this person because I'm not going to lose my best friend. Aside from his marriage and conversion to Islam, there have been a heap of socio-political events that have stoked John Toogood's creative fires in recent years and which he channelled into Shihad's furious 10th studio album. On the eve of Old God's release, John talked to the J-Files about his feelings going into it. It's different each record. Like um, Some of them are more focused than others. Some of them you just know you're doing the right thing. Others you think you're going... I think this is good, and, and usually those records are the ones that I, I look back and go, yeah, we weren't focused on those records, but with this one it's like I just can't wait for people to hear it because it's at the age of 50 we shouldn't actually be making a record this good for a rock and roll record. I mean, it's just crazy. It's really, really good, and it's really focused, and it's 
everything I wanted to say about you know being a human living in Australia in 2021. The album's called Old Gods, and the artwork for it features a statue of Captain Cook being spray-painted by a hooded figure. Um, can you go into the, the idea that you wanted to convey with this artwork? That artwork, it was exactly what I wanted to see. I just wanted to push people's buttons. I wanted to, people to think about the society that they're living in now and why they're where they are in society, and also to even, you know, you know, post question that you know it's 2021. The idea of of a, a social hierarchy based on race to me seems like, from an evolutionary perspective, extremely immature, um, and it's something that's really not helping anybody. And um, I just think it's time we grew the fuck up, and um, and uh, that's part of it. You know, as a collective, she had the band. We wouldn't be making a record that's screaming this loudly if we didn't have faith. And the fact that human beings can do really great things, you know, uh, especially when they're together and when they're looking out for each other. But we're really not on that. Well, certain parts of the society are not on that path. And we just got to fight the good fight. Yeah, well, bless you. That's all I can say. Bless you for being <laughs> driven by those ideals and putting, you know, a whole lot of sonic force to it on this album. And, you know, the yeah, best place to kind of instigate that change lyrically and, you know, with the ideas that you're talking about there is to tear down you know some of these uh established foundations pillars ways of thinking can you tell us about how this song came about tear down those names um that's basically i was watching footage of the edward colston statue being thrown into the harbor in bristol edward colston's a guy that was involved in the slave trade in england and um, I think a lot of people just uh, were sick of looking or being told to venerate someone who, whose principles and morals were very questionable, I think. And I'm not saying that the answer is to, tear, you know, to, to rip down every statue, but I can definitely relate to why African-Americans in southern states of America do not want to be walking past um, statues of people that, that held slaves and, and that treated them like property rather than human beings maybe an alternative would be to um, change the plaque at the bottom to say this person did this plus he owned slaves and he was totally reprehensible I mean that could be another way of doing it but that doesn't sound so good in the chorus of the song so tear down those names is just direct into the throat has members are split between Australia and New Zealand these days. Mm-hmm. How much hard work was it, you know, coordinating the, the making of an album um, with that in mind? Okay, so after, you know, Five Eyes came out, which is the last She Hard record, um, we continued to get together maybe once every six months and we've 
worked out this way of writing that works for everybody because everyone's got a lot of things going on, children, businesses, blah, 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 where we basically stole, you know, uh, John Cleese from Monty Python's idea of, of creativity, which is less time but more, you know, more intense time when you're, when you're creating. So we, you know, get together 10.30 in the morning till 12.30 in the afternoon or maybe one, phone's off creative space and play and we just make music 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 uh, we do that for two weeks at, at a time and then comp- i'm basically compiling a whole bunch of material that i can then scream over um or sing over or whatever whatever it's called and then along came the pandemic and lost nine months worth of work and went okay after spending it, the initial time of slowing down and submitting to what was rather than what I wanted the world to be I think like a lot of artists went well what can I do oh well I have a bunch of music that needs words and uh, luckily for me uh, Cam from Body Jar runs a skateboard store within the five kilometre radius of of where locked my house was in lockdown and uh, said you can use it uh, if you want to do some writing and uh, I just set up in his basement and I would, you know, after the kids were in bed, I'd say goodnight to them and say goodnight to my wife. And then I'd just zip off to this sort of industrial space, retail space, that no because no nothing was open. And I'd just scream. You know, just all this, this need to feel like I wasn't going insane. And I just, I had all this music, which was perfect, perfect soundtrack to be able to express that. Yes, in old gods, she had have supplied a fiery soundtrack for challenging times. With their relentless riffs and barreling force, she had has left a sizable imprint on our lives. I hope you've been inspired by the staying power of this rock monolith. The J Files is a Double J podcast. Make sure you like, follow and share. Our producer is Sam Wicks with production support from Gab Burke and Phoebe Bennett. Theme music is by Art vs. Science. You can check out Double J anytime on the Triple J app or at doublej.net.au. I'm Kaz Tran. Thanks for listening. Double J.